0: As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me. Us. We want to
1: talk right down to earth. Welcome back to another episode of The Malcolm Effect. Joining me today, it is an honor and privilege to be in conversation with my comrade and friend, Yara Shafani. Before we get into anything, how are you doing in this incredibly difficult moment?
0: Hey, Mamadou, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me on. Hanging in there, it's definitely a tough time. You know, we're all, I think, witnessing a really horrific genocide unfolding and it's a challenging time but also a time that a mass movement is really being built around palestine so really excited to kind of talk more about that I'm with you today
1: no thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me again cuz i feel like a part of part of the work in this moment is of course speaking to this moment speaking to i guess some of the misconceptions people have and speaking to And basically getting our messaging out there, we're fully aware that the Zionist camp are well-organized and well-funded. So anything that we can do to kind of push our message out there, I think contributes positively. So I guess to kind of lay the groundwork then, October the 7th, a date that everyone, I guess, seems to have etched in their minds these days. The liberal media likes us to feign historical amnesia, as if to say... Everything, the culmination of all things evil was October the 7th. So from your perspective, what is your assessment of what took place of October the 7th until now?
0: I think in order to understand what took place on October 7th, we need to take a step back and challenge the liberal media framing, like you said, whereby history starts on that date. And we know for us as Palestinians, history does not begin on October 7th and that our people have been fighting for their freedom and their liberation for actually over 100 years. The Palestinian people have been struggling against a Zionist state, the Zionist state of Israel, which was placed, created on their land through the backing of Western imperialism, at the time British imperialism, and since then the Palestinian people have been fighting displacement, fighting imprisonment, fighting exploitation, all at the hands of the Zionist regime, which is now majorly backed by the United States and U.S.-led imperialism, alongside, of course, other actors like Canada and Britain and much of the European world. So in order to, I think, understand October 7th, we need to think about Gaza and and what Gaza really represents. We're talking here about a tiny strip of land, the third most densely populated part of the world, with a population of over 2.2 million people that has essentially been held hostage for 17 years inside an open-air prison. And what I mean by that is that the Zionist state controls Gaza's air, land, and water. Palestinians cannot leave or enter Gaza without permits from the Israeli government. Israel decides how much food and water enters Gaza. They decide what kinds of resources and building material enter the Gaza Strip. There are limitations on the people of Gaza's medical medical equipment and medicines in general. For example, one of the situations in the medical industry in Gaza is that the Zionist state doesn't allow for Early breast cancer detection machinery to enter Gaza, which has resulted in extremely high rates in mastectomies for Palestinian women who live there, because Palestinian hospitals are not able to detect breast cancer at early stages. And there are countless other examples and stories that really point to wow. the reality of of Gaza as an open air prison. And I think what's important for us to understand when it comes to Gaza is for many of us as Palestinians, Gaza is really at, at the center of our world. And what I mean by that is that it represents the story of displacement, the story of refugeehood, and the story of imprisonment at the hands of a foreign occupier displacement and refugeehood, because over 70% of the Palestinians who live in Gaza are actually not from Gaza originally, but they're internally displaced refugees. So many of them were from nearby Palestinian towns and villages that were destroyed and attacked in uh, 1948 and the years that followed in what Palestinians call the Nakba, which means catastrophe. And basically in 1948, nearly a million Palestinians were exiled from their homeland, including my grandfather, in order to create the Zionist state of Israel. Uh, um, There were massacres of villages that took place and Palestinians kicked out of their home at gunpoint and basically forced into refugeehood for the rest of their lives. And I think The story of refugeehood and displacement is a critical part of the Palestinian story and a critical part of the Palestinian condition. So many of the Palestinians that um, you'll meet in your day-to-day life, living in North America, living in Britain, even living in places like Lebanon and Jordan, share this story. It's a shared experience, one of displacement and refugeehood. And it's a critical part of why palestinians continue to struggle for what we call the right of return which is the right of the right to return to our homeland which the zionist state denies us and so in the case of gaza we're looking at a population of over 70% that are that were made refugees and you know in the last month we've seen as we've seen the bombs rain down on gaza uh, many more palestinians are being displaced within gaza yet again But also, the story of imprisonment is a central part of the Palestinian condition because really many Palestinians have been held hostage over the course of the last 75 years since the creation of the State of Israel in Zionist prisons. This story goes actually back to before the creation of the Zionist state, where the British and the Zionist settlers worked together to repress the Palestinians who were. You know, revolting against what they understood as early as the 1920s, Palestinians saw that the British who were colonizing them, who were occupying their land, were facilitating Zionist settlement in Palestine in order to create the Zionist state. And Palestinians were engaged in revolutions all across Palestine in the 1920s and the 1930s. The, the Great Revolution of 1936 to 1939 is a really critical one. And the British and the Zionists were colluding in order to throw Palestinians into prison from far back before the creation of the Zionist state. And this was, of course, a tactic. And we know that colonial and imperialist prisons are a tactic to repress those who dare resist colonization and imperialism. And in the case of British prisons in Palestine, this is precisely what they were. And when the Zionist state was formed in 1948, there were actually there was the mass incarceration of Palestinians across the land that would become the Zionist state of Israel, including labor camps where Palestinian men and boys were collected from their homes; those who were not exiled out of Palestine and put into labor camps and prisons. And so, and of course, in in the 75 years that would follow we would see imprisonment as a continued tool that the Zionist state would deploy against Palestinians. As of October 7th, there were over 6,000 Palestinians in Israeli jails, over 1,000 of whom are under a policy called administrative detention, whereby the Israeli government does not actually lay charges to the Palestinians. They are in prison and they don't know why they're in prison. Their lawyers don't know why they're in prison. Their family does not know why they're in prison. And since October 7th, there have been an additional between 2,000 to 6,000 more Palestinians that have been placed in Zionist prisons. Over 2,000 in the West Bank and an additional estimate around 4,000 for Palestinian workers who work inside the Zionist entity from Gaza who were rounded up and collected by the Zionist state as a punishment for October 7th. And so for these reasons, really, Gaza is at the center of the world really for many Palestinians because it represents a story of displacement and refugeehood. It represents a story of imprisonment at the hands of a foreign occupier. But most importantly, it represents a story of steadfastness and resistance in that the people of Gaza refuse to abandon their homeland. They refuse to abandon their struggle. They wake up in conditions that are extremely challenging and they choose life. Every single day, they choose the national liberation struggle. And for anybody who is concerned with anti-imperialism, with anti-colonialism, Gaza should be at the heart and center of your world, too.
1: Thank you so much for that, because... What you did so brilliantly, and I appreciate it for my own knowledge and my own learning, and I'm sure many of the listeners will feel the same. But what you've done is we refuse that liberal framing as if history begins on that day, but also bringing it into the wider context. So the same way Palestinians see Gaza Gaza as representing the things you mentioned, if you just zoom out a little bit, this is why, for the same reasons, Palestine represents and is the litmus test. I keep telling people, Palestine in this moment, if you care about anti-imperialism, anti-colonial, decolonial struggle, then it almost as if this is like the final frontier. And, you know, we once again, the way the UN has been voting, the way the US has, you know, jumped in to back Israel in this moment, as well as European countries, we really see that is the bulwark in the region for Western interests, particularly US imperialism. So thank you so much. Well, given that you are so familiar with that history, what do you make of, I guess I'm going to prejudice the answer, of the poor and dismal responses from many quote-unquote leftists to this moment?
0: I think it's been incredibly disappointing, but in many ways not surprising, that segments of the Western left have chosen in this moment to do nothing more than to give left cover for genocide. And what I mean by that is That we know that in the last month, the genocide that we've witnessed unfold against the people of Gaza is something that is really hard to, really hard to stomach, to be honest with you. Like we're talking about, we say 10,000, over 10,000 people. And that's just, you know, we think of that as a number, but it's not a number. Each one of those people had lives that were worth living, that were full despite living in this open air prison they had loved ones who will miss them dearly we're talking about entire families wiped off the registry families whose last names no longer exist as of what just happened in the last month there are tens of thousands of people injured thousands who are trapped under the rubble and a million over a million in gaza internally displaced so these are refugees they were made refugees in, and placed inside this open air prison, and now they are refugees yet again. And to see this Western left's kind of fixation with some sort of both sides narrative, some sort of double condemnation narrative, which equates the colonizer and the colonized, the occupier and the occupied with one another, really has been disappointing. And also, I think has in many ways created left cover for genocide and you know we know that there are segments of the western left who really should not be called left to begin with right what we're talking about here are people who are certainly not interested in questions of national liberation for them socialism is a question You know, for example, in the United States, it's just a question of health care and better jobs and uh, fair wages, right? I know sometimes these are referred to as more social democrats. And so for them, the question of national liberation, the question of imperialism and anti-colonialism is clearly not central. But we also know that the people of Palestine, the struggle that they're fighting is one of the most critical struggles in the fight against empire. And it has been for over 75 years. The Palestinian people From as early as the 1920s, as I mentioned, articulated and understood that their enemy was not only Zionist settlement, but also British imperialism and also Arab reactionary forces that were colluding with British imperialism. And so from its earliest formations, we had this kind of articulation of Palestinian struggle that was at its heart anti-imperialist and anti-colonial. And this has continued. And we have seen time and time and time again, the Palestinian struggle align itself with other revolutionary struggles. So a solidarity and internationalism with the struggle for liberation in Vietnam or in Korea, the struggle in, in solidarity with the people of Cuba, who are two fighting US-led imperialism. Palestinians have shown solidarity and been in solidarity with black histories of black struggle, dating all the way back to the Black Panther Party and even prior. And of course, more in more recent years, incredible amounts of internationalism and solidarity have been built between Black Americans and the Palestinian people. Palestinians have been in solidarity with indigenous people who are fighting against colonialism in North America. And so this is truly at its heart, a struggle that has always been aligned with anti-imperialist, anti-colonial and progressive forces across the world. And that is because for Palestinians, we are talking about a small nation that is being attacked not only by the Zionist entity, but by U.S.-led imperialism. U.S.-led imperialism is funding Palestinian genocide. Every year, the United States sends $3.8 billion to the Zionist state. Just last week, we saw the approval by the United States to send an additional $14.5 billion to the Zionist state, effectively saying that we reward you for your genocide. That was the message that the U.S. empire sent to the pal- to, to the Zionist state. And so for Palestinians, we know that our struggle is a revolutionary one, is one that is anti-imperialist and anti-colonial in nature. And you know, for the American people, the Western left, you know, but I think in the US, the context is quite specific, where we're talking about a country where healthcare and education uh, have been crying for funding, where people, uh, and in particular, working class and racialized communities, indigenous communities, immigrant communities, do not have the resources that they need and are being exploited inside the US empire. And so it is, it should be and needs to be a concern of the Western left to ask this question of what is our role in this moment? And unfortunately, too much of the Western left decided that their role in this moment was to do some both sides. And like I said, equating of colonizer and colonized to put out these nuanced statements, most of which, you know, really dehumanize the Palestinian people, strip them of their right as agents in their struggle for National Liberation, statements which engaged in all kinds of mongering, fear mongering, delegitimizing the Palestinian struggle. And then, you know, when the numbers of the Palestinians started to rise, the Palestinians murdered started to rise, some of these people turned around and they started to, you know, kind of clutch their pearls at these numbers as if they didn't play a role in manufacturing consent for this genocide. And I think what's needed now more than ever is for the Western left. And that is a message to the Western left in the United States, in Canada, in Britain, all across Europe. What is needed is for the Western left to prioritize its an analysis and understanding of anti-imperialism, of anti-colonialism and the relationship between these two things and capitalism and for the Western left to join a mass movement that is that affirms the right of the Palestinian people to liberate their land and understands that the Palestinian struggle for national liberation that deeply and directly concerns their own struggle whether these are people who are fighting you know if you're someone who's fighting for socialism in the united states you're fighting for healthcare or you know um, better education then the struggle for palestinian liberation concerns you because your government is sending money to the zionist state instead of funding services in your country. If you are somebody who is truly concerned with the liberation of the oppressed, concerned with overturning imperialism or colonialism, then the the Palestinian national liberation struggle is critical to you because who better than to support than a tiny nation that is really for 75 years longer has been fighting the most courageous battle against imperialism and colonialism. And so while it's not disappointing that the Western left, you know, engaged in both sides and really kind of nuanced its way into giving left cover for genocide. Really my message to those who are listening is that it's not too late for you to get organized in a different way and to actually take national liberation and anti-imperialism and anti-colonialism as serious pillars of a left tradition and as your responsibility as part of a western left that needs to build internationalism with oppressed nations that are fighting colonialism and imperialism.
1: Honestly thank you once again and I often say and I've been saying to people on my campus and in conversation that when we say Palestine is a litmus test it's not saying that oh we're Privileging this struggle over others, we're saying no. But through the liberation of Palestine, other people in the world, racialized indigenous folk, gain their liberation as well. And I think it's so important to underscore because I think about talking about internationalism. I recall the United Nations when Zionism was declared racism in 1975. It was many. It was backed by many African nations and the Soviet Union as well. Likewise, some of the most vocal place um, voices in anti-Zionism and advocating an anti-Zionist stance in North America, particularly United States, was Kwame Ture, for example. And I feel like these links, we have to understand that our revolutionary forefathers understood the message, understood the role Palestine plays in the liberation struggles for all oppressed people. So thank you for underscoring that. Given that a lot of people who are mobilizing are on campuses specifically, What role do you think those on college campuses can play and should be playing?
0: I think before I get into that, I wanted to just build a little bit on something you said, Mamadou, you know, around the Global South. I think it's clear in this moment that there are millions of people who are organizing in service of Palestinian national liberation in the Global South. And we are seeing seeing some of the largest protests across the Arab world and across the Global South more broadly. We have seen global south nations recall ambassadors cut ties with the zionist state and i think at the core of that and and i think you you know you hit the nail on the head is that really when we say that zionism is a facet of western imperialism you know it means that really zionism is an enemy of the masses it's an enemy of all the people of the global south all of the exploited masses and i think there's you know something that we've we've heard in particular, is there's this this chant that came out in in Egypt, you know, just the, the, in, over these past few weeks, where people were chanting in freeing Palestine. Palestine has freed us, and I was reflecting on kind of what that chant means in particular, because the Palestinian youth movement, uh, the organization that that I'm with, a member of, is a movement for Palestinian and, and Arab youth, and you know that's because we understand Zionism. Zionism's kind of expansionary nature as an immediate threat to the Arab people, right? So we know that while the Zionist entity is colonizing Palestine, is bombing Gaza, it's also bombing South Lebanon in this moment. We know that the Zionist entity has formerly occupied South Lebanon And all of Lebanon, actually. We know that the Zionist entity is currently occupying land in Syria, is currently beating the drums of war against Iran. And so this is a really a facet of Western imperialism in the Middle East that is really a threat to the Arab world, and also more broadly a threat to the global south, right? With Zionist, you know, Zionist militias, you know, training para or Zionist state training para reactionary and fascist paramilitaries in Latin America, for example, or Israeli corporations that are exploiting and extracting resources in in Africa. And, you know, of course, we know the history of Zionist and U.S. as and Canada, uh, police state departments. You know, there's, there's a, a training that takes place for police, police forces in these countries uh, that is conducted by the Zionist state. So we understand this to be a really repressive force that is aligned with Western imperialism, U.S.-led imperialism. But, you know, when I think about this particular chant in freeing Palestine, Palestine has freed us, that arose in Egypt, i'm thinking you know in the era that we're in which is the era of normalization right whereby arab nations are either pursuing or contemplating normalization with the zionist state uh, the normalizing of relations the normalizing of business and trade right uh, this is something that historically did not occur but we know that the united arab emirates moved in this direction before this this recent genocide saudi arabia was exploring the concept of normalization and so, when we hear a chant like this, what we understand is that the Arab people stand actually against Zionism and imperialism, and are not—they're not, they're not uh, reflecting the positions of their governments in the direction of their governments. And I think, you know, the, in this enchanting or in this chant of "in freeing Palestine, Palestine has freed us," it shows us that, you know, even in states that are ruled by U.S.-aligned governments where revolutions are repressed and the struggle for that the struggle for Palestine is a struggle that unites us all and actually frees us all from the shackles of imperialism and colonialism. And it's really a reminder that there's a shared struggle in our people in fighting against Zionism, imperialism, and also you know reactionary i would say arab states who work in the interests of these these forces but also more broadly global south states that are working in the interests of these forces and so i kind of just wanted to note that before shifting gears just because no, i No thank really you so
1: critical. much for that thank you
0: yeah and i think on the point around college campuses and university campuses i think this is really a critical point because actually you know, universities are one of the most important places that the struggle has, has been unfolding. And this is this is historic, right? I'm trying to remember if it was Che or Fidel, you know, who who said something about, you know, how the youth are, are revolutionary, like in, in their hearts, they're revolutionary. And, uh, I think that, you know, it's true that young people are in particular, particularly very revolutionary in nature. And when they go to universities, what they're faced with is a site of struggle, really. And it's a place to, you know, m- many of the universities are having direct investments with the Zionist state. Uh, many of the universities seek to repress progressive organizing on campus, in particular, Palestine organizing. And we know that Palestinians who go onto university campuses, and not just Palestinians, but our comrades from all walks of life, you know, refuse to buckle to this repression and see the university as a critical place to organize. And... There have been so many historic movements that have taken place on university campuses around Palestine. We know that university campuses and students on university campuses have really kind of fought around boycott, divestment and sanctions movements and resolutions on their campus. I know for me, my entry into Palestine organizing was actually on my university campus. And so It was, it's something that we've always really, a place that we've always seen to be a critical part of our people's struggle. And it's also super important because of the level of repression that we see. And it's why it's so, so critical for us to support the leadership of students on these campuses who are taking up and assuming their roles as agents of change, as people who have a historic role to play. In disseminating education about Palestine, you know, many student organizations on these campuses spend so much time, you know, putting together teach-ins, printing resources, and setting up tables and student centers to talk to people about Palestine. It's really an, a critical site of, of education. And we know that the education system that exists on these campuses is in the imperial core. is not an education system that is concerned with liberation, but... Uh, yet we see Palestinian students and their comrades coming together with liberatory programs on campuses in order to organize people on Palestine. It's super critical for us to support student organizing in this moment, especially because what also exists on these campuses is major, major, major repression both by university administrations, you know, who sometimes are concerned about donors. Um, many of these campuses may have partnerships with Zionist institutions, and also Zionist institutions and organizations that exist on these campuses who are, you know, doxing Palestinian students, who are smearing them uh, in the media, who are really doing everything that they can to shut down the space for Palestinian organizing on campus. And I think that that is reflective of just how much power uh, university and college students have. And I'll also add high school students. I mean, in the last month, we have seen walkouts, you know, uh, both our school walkouts, not only at the university and college level, but at the high school level. And that is a huge... So we are seeing students who are from high school and universities who are basically saying, we refuse, we refuse to sit in a classroom and pretend like everything is okay. We refuse to sit silently in an institution that is repressing our voices, that is sending money to the Zionist state, that has partnerships, whether they be educational ties or cultural ties or financial ties to Zionist institutions and these students are saying we refuse to sit here quietly while our people are actively undergoing a genocide and we're going to walk out of our classrooms and protest and this has been really really critical but we've also seen in this moment something I'll share that's happened at my university is a major repression against student unions that are choosing to, or that chose to speak up in support of Palestinian national liberation. And so, you know, at my university, we saw the university administration come down on three student unions for putting out a statement in solidarity with Palestinians. So university campuses in this moment are really Uh, Kind of taking that repression to the next step. And we see the impact of that. You know, there are many statements that are circulating by faculty and students at my university that are trying to support Palestine. And there are people who are signing and not writing their name. And making notes that they are not writing their name because they're afraid of what the of retribution from the university. And so these are really critical. This is a really critical moment for us to be aware of the repression that's happening on campus and to support the student movement that has always been one of the strongest forces of the Palestinian national liberation struggle.
1: Absolutely. I mean, thinking about North America, we see that the likes of Stokely Carmichael, aka Kwame Ture and many others emerge from what? They emerge from SNCC, you know, Student Nonviolent Coordination Committee. And that was a massive um, nationwide student body movement. So we see that we have that tradition of uh, liberation movements and the kind of radicalization of students taking place through college campuses. And it's important because you're underscoring the repression. And again, I've seen it at my campus. We've seen it in Harvard the Zionists bring trucks to campus doxing students when they fail that they take pictures of people at rallies. Canary Mission is another form of doxing. And all too often, again, we see that the college campuses, because of, as you said, donors and ties with the Zionist entity, all too often do not care about their students who happen to be racialized or Muslim, Arab um, and other racialized people to side with the oppressors. And we see that time and time again. Um, You mentioned that you're a PYM member. I mean, just in case no one knows what PYM is, do you mind telling the listeners who they are, what they're about and what they're currently doing?
0: So the Palestinian Youth Movement, or PYM, is an organization comprised of Palestinian and Arab youth, and we are located across North America, so we have chapters in the U.S. and Canada, as well as in Europe. We have a chapter in uh, London, and we are essentially fighting for the liberation of Palestine. For us, we believe that we have a historic role to play in the diaspora uh, in order to stand firm with our people in Palestine as they struggle against Zionism's crimes. And, you know, for us, we need to, our perspective as PYM is that we need to rise up and rise up and mobilize alongside our communities in support of our people in Palestine and commit to our people's liberation from Zionist colonization. And really at the center of this is this, this, that we're challenging the idea that our people, our youth, who are many of us either born in the Western world or um, moved here at very young ages, this idea that we will forget our struggle, right? Right. And I think that at the heart of the Palestinian youth movement is this kind of idea that, you know, generation after generation, the Palestinian people will continue to struggle and to fight for their freedom, even when they are in the heart of U.S. empire or in Canadian and and British uh, imperialist nations, where we are uh, repressed and, um, you know, really they try to make us silent and for the Palestinian youth movement. A central part of our vision is to kind of combat that by working with our communities, challenging this idea that because we are not in Palestine, that this is not our struggle. On the contrary, we have a critical role to play as Palestinians and and Arabs in the far diaspora, in being agents of our people's struggle, rising up to support our people. And so for the Palestinian youth movement, we put on regular actions, protests, educational workshops. We work with our community. Um, We've organized Palestinian festivals and um, all kinds of cultural programming and so for us, really, at the heart of this is this idea that just because we have been forced off of our homeland, just because we have been severed from Palestine does not mean that we cannot and does that, that does not mean that we, we have forgotten and rather we have responsibility to carry Palestine with us to fight for it, particularly in the the heart of empire where we we have a responsibility to to play in service of our national liberation struggle.
1: Thank you so much for that and again you underscored the point of maybe people feel a degree of separation but quite movingly at a protest we had an elderly Arab woman said that the only thing or the only source of solace she finds in this moment is that with every bomb that Netanyahu continues to drop All he's doing is creating another generation who are willing to fight for the liberation of Palestine, and I think that's absolutely true. So I guess as we're approaching the end, what can we do further to mobilize it? The images that are emerging from Gaza are horrific, and bring many people to tears. And you know they're quite emotional, emotionally charged, and a lot of the time people feel helpless. I often say we shouldn't feel helpless because the Palestinians are doing everything they can for their liberation. So we should be in solidarity and in support of that. But given that we're not in and we are in North America, we're facing these acts of repression. What can we do further to assist in this struggle?
0: When you when we started this, the, this episode and you asked me how I was feeling, I told you I was feeling, of course, like this mixture of sadness and anger and grief, you know, but also hope. And that hope actually comes from what I've been seeing over the course of the last month, which is clearly the building of a mass movement that is ready to fight for the liberation of Palestine. And so, you know, kind of to add on that piece a little bit about the Palestinian youth movement, just this past weekend on November 4th, we called for an International Day of Action. And one of the protests that we organized was a march on Washington, DC, on the White House, where we had over 300,000 people join us to march on the White House. Yeah, so in the belly of a beast, in the heart of empire, we were able to mobilize and bring together the largest Palestine protest in U.S. history. And for me, that's that's huge, right? It shows us that the masses are with us, right? And, you know, that protest... It was, we, you know, we know where the United States Empire stands. We know that the United States will continue to fund the Zionist state's genocide of our people. But what we also know is that we can and we have power through building a mass movement to challenge both Zionism and imperialism, to show our power, to organize. And I think that that's what we were able to do on November 4th, not only in Washington, D.C., but all across the world. You know, there was also another protest in California with tens of thousands of people. In Canada, we had three historic protests, one in the Toronto area with over 50,000 people, one in Montreal with over 70,000 people, and another one in Ottawa. And all three broke the record of the the largest protests in these areas on Palestine in history and so what we're seeing here is we're seeing a watershed moment for the Palestinian national liberation struggle we know that no colonial regime is it is able to sustain itself forever. We know that the power of the people, the power of the masses, that the Palestinian people's sumud, meaning steadfastness, so their refusal to capitulate, their refusal to abandon their struggle, we know that these things are stronger than their apartheid wall, than their military checkpoints, than their bombs. And I think that that's at the center of what brings us, so many of us hope, in this moment is seeing that the masses of the world, the Global South, but also the Imperial core are uniting and getting organized in what is clearly a mass movement that has the power to bring the US government to a place where it must call for a ceasefire. It must not because it, not because it wants to, not because you know Joe Biden has a heart that cares about the Palestinian people. We know that that's not how U.S. empire works. But we know that we are headed in that direction because of how strong and powerful our movement is in this moment. And you know, one of the the things that I think is super critical right now is that we. See that this is, yes, this is a moment. This is a historic moment, but it's not just a moment. We know that we're going to keep organizing. Like, if there's a ceasefire tomorrow, that, you know, we still have work to do. There will still be a siege on Gaza that we need to fight, that we need to break. There will still be the Palestinian struggle for national liberation. And that is something that we are wholeheartedly committed to. And we see the masses of the world joining us in that struggle. And I think that that's the thing that's the most, you know, historic, right? The Zionist state's sort of illusion of being some kind of democracy in the Middle East or some kind of, you know, um, they say that they're one of the most moral armies on uh, in the world, right? And all of this is being exposed as a lie in this moment. All of it. The world is seeing just how brutal this regime is it is seeing clearly the way in which the zionist state's existence is predicated on the destruction of palestinian life and people are joining us from all walks of life and i think it's really critical that we continue to organize in order to end the genocide and in order to free our people to lift the siege on gaza but also to free palestine from the river to the sea and I will say that on November 9th, but also a few, there will be an additional couple of days that will be announced, you know, in the next few days where we are committing to a international shutdown. What this means is that we are organizing a shutdown of mass industries. We are going to organize outside of political offices. We are going to organize inside all sectors of labor. We've already seen segments of this popping up, right, where workers are refusing to transport weapons that are headed towards the Zionist state. Activists are blocking boats stopping boats from, you know, setting sail that are, you know, transporting weapons to the Zionist state. We're seeing all kinds of organizing happening and we're going to continue to shut down industries and businesses until our people are free because we've refused to continue with business as usual when the bombs are raining over Gaza. And so I really kind of want to urge people who are feeling hopeless certainly we, we, we need to hold space for grief, right? Like I said earlier, we're talking about 10,000, over 10,000 people who are, who are, you know, family, you know, they're, they're, loved ones. They are, you know, it's, it's critical that we take a minute and, and we sit with the grief. We sit with the horror of what is taking place, what Zionism and imperialism are doing to our people, but it's even more critical that we look around and we see that the, there is a mass movement that is emerging in this moment and that we will be victorious. You know, I'll say really quickly, Mama Do, I, I've never stepped foot in Palestine. My grandfather mm-hmm. was kicked out of his homeland in 1948 as a 16-year-old boy, and he would live most of his life as a refugee in Lebanon, faced displacement from one refugee camp in Lebanon to another, and he spent his whole life waiting to return home. And I am someone who's never stepped foot in Palestine. And I though although my grandfather will not be able to return to Palestine or was not able to the struggle that I'm fighting is my grandfather's struggle. We are talking here about a generation of people who is not going to abandon their national liberation struggle. And our Samud, our perseverance as Palestinians, our refusal to capitulate is one that we, you know, that should show the world that that we will be victorious. And that, in and of itself should be a call for everybody who is not feeling hopeful in this moment to get organized to join these mass protests to stand on the right side of history to shut down to join us in in the shutting down of industries to join us when we organize our school walkouts to to take part in this historic movement and i think that in and of itself is one that is proof that our people will be victorious because We know that all colonial empires fall and it is critical that we hold that knowledge as we organize. We know that we are organizing because we know we will be victorious, because we know we stand on the right side of history and we have the masses of the world behind us.
1: And I can't wait to eat shawarma and drink shaibina'ana and the liberated Philistine, Palestine with you, Yara, and all of us listening, God willing. Thank you once again. Until next time.
0: Thank you so much.